Welcome to the Kindness Podcast. I'm Nicole Phillips. Ever wonder where the term helper's high came from? Alan Lux coined that phrase. He's considered among the top experts on volunteerism. His pioneering research changed what we know about how the body benefits from being kind. And he's here to tell us not all acts of kindness are created equally. The term helper's high is now very widely used, but you were the one who came up with it. What does that word mean or those words mean in your mind? When I first started doing the research on how physically and emotionally people who helped others felt and any changes, a large number of them said, I run. This is sort of like runner's high and exercise's high. So the truth was I was, was copying what runners said. And the more I did the research, the more we found that this runner's high that exercises they receive lowers their stress levels, makes them feel better, was being experienced by the helper, helpers who get a good feeling back from those they help. And so I coined the term helpers high, which uh, 20 odd years later is uh, still being used. Is that shocking to you? The truth is, it's terrific. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm now a senior, and we're the fastest growing part of the population, and saying, I want to make a difference. And to think that I planted a little seed to help push, to help people think that maybe if I help others, something's going to be benefit me. That'll, that'll be the reason they start volunteering. That'll be the reason they start helping others. To think I left a little seed is, uh, is an especially good feeling now. So the book, The Healing Power of Doing Good, you wrote back in the 1990s. Rather, that research was groundbreaking. But what prompted that research? Um, Man passed away, T. George Harris. And George was the founder of American Health Magazine and Psychology Today. And we were going to a conference and in, uh, in Maine. And we were driving from New York to Maine a long trip, and all of a sudden I just started talking about George. When I help other people, I feel good. And he said, I feel good too. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll challenge you. Write an article for the magazine on why you feel good. It hasn't been done before. Why do you think you feel good? And so George started uh, started me up writing this article for American Health Magazine and then for Psychology Today. And this push made me, made, me, made me feel, made me experience, made me realize that it just wasn't just me, it was a lot of people. And so I, we, I coined it, and as I began to interview, we, we interviewed more than 3,000 people initially, had this feeling of helpless high, of feeling good about themselves, and they were 10 times more likely to say they were in better health. Uh, the health benefits came after they started helping. I knew it was on to something. And so we kept on using the term helpless eye, and today it's uh, commonly used in all the literature, which is great. So you, how does that, what does that look like when you go out and you, you're going to interview 3,000 people? Are you looking primarily, were you looking primarily at seniors? Were you looking at people through one particular volunteer organization? No. Uh, we teamed up with Better Homes and Garden magazine. And I went and interviewed 3,200 people. And we did a self-reported survey to them. And we said, and we interviewed people who were old and young, men and women, 
people who work with immigrants, people who work with children, people who work with the elderly, every, every kind of uh, help you can think of. And we said, if it's, if it's not good, tell us if it's not good. If you find it's too frustrating, tell us if it's too frustrating. If it's good, tell us if it's good. We really want to know how are you affected. And the results came in, and the, the results were overwhelmingly that people who helped others but you had to have to be a certain kind of helping the call. It wasn't just running out and throwing a baseball and going going back and watching television. It was a certain kind of helping, uh, with ten times more likely to be, uh, to report being in good health. That helping required, however, to be doing it on a consistent basis. And, you, and it comes out today. There's been a lot of research now since I started it about two hours a week, and that's a lot of helping. So you have to help regularly. You had to help strangers rather than just family or friends, because in stress, your stress is reduced as you have more control, and you have more control when you help strangers. And you have to have personal contact, because you have to have some feelings back. And this is sort of like meditation. You constantly, you're concentrating not longer on your own problems, on someone else's problems. So you need to do it regular, on a regular basis, roughly averaging around two hours a week, helping strangers, not just family or friends, and getting personal feelings back, personal contact back. And if you had that, you were 10 times more likely to say, I am in good health. And as the health benefits came after you started helping. And since then, doctors and major hospitals have done the research, and it's, they've all come up with the same, uh, same report. And most important, in 2007, the federal government issued a report called the Health Benefits of Volunteering. Open Anyone can just Google it and just type in the Health Benefits of Volunteering, U.S. government, and you'll, you'll get the report. And the report said, confirmed exactly what we found, but most importantly said, people who do this have less stress and they will live longer. And as I go around the country, I'm invited to talk internationally. So many people, when I first tell them about this research, I tell them about that it shows that people who help others live longer. And I quote, it says you have lower mortality. I quote from the United States government official publication. They still kind of raise their eyebrows. It's still a tremendous, not tremendous is not a fair word, but it's still a strong bias to saying no sweat, no gain. That People still don't believe that if you can help others just by helping, just by helping someone else that you can enhance your own health. I have found that people almost seem to feel like they're doing it wrong if they feel like they're getting a benefit from it. Have you run into people who feel that way? They say, well, it's not really altruistic if I am getting something back in return. Oh, yes. Many, many, many people uh, say it's not really altruism. It's not, you're not really being an altruistic. You're helping yourself. But um, it's not true. It's not true. Because you get hooked, and you got to remember, it's not dancing the tango to just one person. It's you and someone else. So I, I find people, well, I'll give you an example. I, one of the volunteering that I do in New York City is they sleep during the winter overnight in a church or a synagogue basement to help the homeless. Hmm. And we do two people. And very often your partner gets delayed at work or something comes up, he can't do it. And whenever I've been called and said, Alan, you'll need a new partner, I call a friend and the friend say, oh, we have no time for Alan. I won't be good at that. It's not going to be uh, appealing, please. 
I finally convinced him to do it. Over the years now, I'm talking about 20 years, so I'm talking a long time, just about every friend I've convinced, at least try it for one night, goes back. Because you feel so good about yourself. But it's not that easy, and it's talking about helping people very often who are different than you in many ways. And so you need a push. That's why your podcast, other other ways to communicate the message is so important. How do you think kindness is different now versus back when you started doing all of this research? Uh, well, kindness, what we, we found, uh, that your stress goes down. It's, it goes, it's ancient. It's, it's, it goes back to the caveman. If you didn't help one another, the fire would go out in front of the cave. So it's, there's no difference. What's happened, and I know you're talking about my own society in this country, the walls, the distrust of too many people uh, has risen. And we need to use helping others to break down those walls, because once people get connected, they stay, stay helping. When I used to be head of Big Brothers, Big Sisters in New York, a mentoring organization more than 100 years old, and you're bringing together kids and volunteers of different races and different religions and different ages and different income groups, and at first, kids don't talk to the volunteer. The volunteer says, I don't know if this is right for me. The mother of the child often says, I don't know what's going to happen. It's confusion. But those that kept on as mentoring, kept on as feeling, 90% kept going on. 90% kept mentoring, kept volunteering. So the difference is is that for a variety of reasons, we have a, a, a country right now which is a little too divided. What we do have, if we can get more and more people helping one another, this is one of the basic, basic ways we have of bringing people together. You don't have to agree on the answers to certain social issues, but once you agree and see that you can help people of different backgrounds, then you're much more likely, they're much more likely to say, I can compromise, I can compromise, I can compromise. That's what society is about. That's the social contract, and that's what we have right now in our society through, this, through volunteering, Nicole. If we could get more and more people just helping one another and getting their differences together will have a much healthier society. But we need to get, we need to push. And that's the, that's the challenge for people like you in the communication business, for people like me in the social service area. So for four decades, you worked for well-known organizations that were specifically dedicated to helping others. Did you feel like people were better at compromising or or are there certain things that, that you now know about what we did uh, right. Much and, easier. Mm-hmm. I also teach, just just step down, uh, at Fordham University Graduate School in New York, where I set up a program to train nonprofit leaders. And uh, when and I was talking about when I came out of the Peace Corps, I, I volunteered. I was a lawyer in East Harlem, and I, I volunteered with people and how good I felt. And it was terrific. And a student, I always tell this story, raised her hand, and she said, Professor Lux, can I say something? I said, what's that? She said, when you went to school, your tuition was much, much less than mine is now. <laughs> it was much harder to get it, much, much easier to get a job. It's much easier to lose a job now. Professor Lux, 
It's a different stage. It's a different time. It's much harder for us to worry about other people to try to change society to start helping others. And she's right. And she's right. That my generation, the war on poverty, bringing people together, the Peace Corps, it was easier to push people to start coming together despite their differences. Now, because of the, of the structure, just as a student challenged me, it's harder. And therefore, we have to push more to bring people together. Because once we bring them together, and I've seen this in all the research out there, it says the same thing. Once you bring people together, the different backgrounds, and keep them going on a regular basis, uh, they, they tend to stay together. They feel good. They get that help as high. So when you need more pushing today, it's harder today, more pushing, more pushing to say, people, try it, try it. This is our future. This is your future. And this is your health. And look at this federal government report. It says you'll live longer. And look at this guy, Alan Lux, back 20 years ago. His research is right. It's because you're high. It gives you the helpless high. I read something that you wrote that talks about, you know, looking into that final mirror as you as you look back on your life. And it and you challenge us. Here here's what you said. I said you said I have an idea of how to best use the 40 million person army of seniors older than 65 to put us on center stage. Use us as volunteers in the offices of elected and appointed officials to evaluate social change proposals. So it seems to me that you've got this idea still of of what could happen to bring people together. What would change if that happened if we used those seniors? Well, this is a great force in society. This is what I'm dedicating my helping work now. The major reason all the research shows is that the people distrust their public officials. They don't want to get together. They distrust other groups. Is the fact that public officials, elected officials, politicians don't get back to them. The politicians have a very real and honest excuse is we're getting thousands of community requests to do this, to do that. We don't have enough time with our small office on the local level to do anything. Then here comes this group, which is out there, seniors, 45 million, over past age 65. Very often had good jobs. They want to help. Can we get the seniors to be the first line? They will connect. They'll be helping. Helping their community to read proposals, to read and evaluate different proposals of social change. They then they bring it to their elected official who they volunteer for, and the elected officials now can start to bring on and get involved at least in social change. And then I keep on saying, I I just don't know the resources. I don't know where to start. So I think the major, a major, major, major challenge for volunteering will be seniors getting seniors to volunteer in their communities to be the first line of working with new social proposals and health and education and transportation and crime, etc., and then bringing it to their public officials. The public officials could now look good, saying, I've looked at these new ideas, thanks to all our seniors out there, and I'm going to get involved. So yes, yes, that's what I'm working on. Seniors becoming a major volunteer force they are a major volunteer force, but a major volunteer force in a new way and getting social change. What special attributes do the seniors hold in particular versus having the millennials do something like that? Time. Mm-hmm. Time. 
time. Seniors have time, and that's what we need. It, 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 it takes time to uh, evaluate, uh, even at, at the local level, to get, get an idea on new schools, new housing, new education. It takes time to go out there to get, set up a rapport with the people in the community to find out what's happening. So seniors have this time. And I, we, we would do it. My goal, I, I feel, is to offer free training to seniors throughout the country who want to do this and can hook them up with public officials. Everyone here looks good. And the idea is that you're not, you're not, everyone's not going to come up with the same answer, but you're going to compromise, compromise. And you compromise is when you start to get, get in contact with other people, you get the experience that help us high. The seniors and the others in the community are saying, look how good I feel. Look how good I feel. Of course we can compromise. To say that you can't compromise is uh, ridiculous. But back to that, going back to that young woman student who challenged me, she's right. It's very, very hard to compromise when you have a lot of problems. So I'm hoping seniors who have the time can start to get, break down the resistance to getting to break down the resistance to people being aloof, not getting not, not getting involved in uh, social change. What specific uh, call to action do you have for volunteers who are seniors? So someone who's listening to this, they're a senior citizen, they're maybe retired, and they say, yeah, I totally want to help, but how do I begin? How do I start? What's the answer for that? Just go to their computer and type in the word volunteering, and they will find so much. And, of course, there's everything from the giant organizations like AARP and RSVP, Retired Senior Volunteer Program, and seniors, seniors, seniors. There's no shortage. And I'm hoping that our program, the program I'm trying to push now, will be around. We can begin to set up and team up with other major organizations. So if one of the things, maybe one of the things they want to volunteer as is as a sports coach or they want to go into uh, help with the ill, or they want to help with immigrants, whatever it is. But some will want to get involved in social change, and if they could just ask the, the different groups that come up on their computer, can, will there be an opportunity for me to get involved in community change? And many have opportunities already for them to do it. Do that, push them, and the public, public officials will now have, from the seniors, from the seniors, I suggest you do this or that. Now the public officials will have the pressure to, to do something. Everyone, everybody gains when you volunteer, but you have to do it. There's a strong voice waiting to be heard there. Alan, thank you very much. Before I let you go, would you share with me perhaps a favorite kindness story as you look back? And when I was uh, in charge of Big Brothers, Big Sisters of New York, I mentioned that a lot of children, youngsters, working with their mentor, being mentored by the older person, there would be an aloofness to be a... People would take take time to talk with each other. It, it, it took a big push, and I just started the program. And I've been there about a year. And one of the one of the youngsters who had from a single parent home, very poor, and he wouldn't talk to his volunteer, and he wouldn't talk to me. I tried to greet all the students, uh, all the youngsters who were being mentored, and I, he he wouldn't he, he just wouldn't talk to me. I said, "You'll have a good experience." He wouldn't talk to me. We, we had. Oh, a couple of thousand kids in our program, but still, he just he wouldn't talk to me. A year later, roughly, kid walks into my office with his volunteer, and he said, Director Lux, I just wanted to say hello. And he gave me a hug. <laughs> that was it. Uh, a two-second hug. This kid, who was, who was different from me in so many ways, 
was different from his volunteer in so many ways. He decided to come into, make the effort to come into my office with a big smile and hug me. That's what we're talking about. That's what it has to spread in any society. That's, that's it. That has to be your foundation. Alan Lux, thank you so, so much for talking with me today, and thank you especially for the legacy that you have already left, and I can't wait to see what you do next with this next senior program. Have a great day. Thank you. You can learn more about Alan's book, The Healing Power of Doing Good, or his other publications at alanlux.com. Thanks for listening to The Kindness Podcast. It's produced by WOUB Public Media and relies heavily on the kindness of engineer Adam Rich. I'm Nicole Phillips. We hope you'll subscribe to The Kindness Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or NPR One. 